This is Fern Hall, and you're listening to Aetherite Radio. Alright, what's up everybody, and welcome to Lorecast, the Final Fantasy XIV lore podcast from Gamerscape.com. I'm FusionX, and joining me, as always, we have Anwil. What's going on? How's it going? So, uh, last week was E3. Lot of, uh, a lot of cool stuff out of there. We got Rogue and Ninja and a uh, whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, but one thing that we did get, which is why we're doing a Lorecast, uh, we were able to sit down with Fernhalls. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of get a little, get some answers here and there uh, about some stuff. So uh, we'll go ahead and uh, just jump right into this. Uh, our first question um, was, we know that with Shiva um, at, back at PAX, if you guys remember, they said that there was going to be a new Beastman tribe for Shiva. Um, what is the process for creating a whole new race uh, for Hydaelyn? And he first tells us that we're assuming a lot with that first sentence. Um, and we, we, we did ask for some clarification on that because we were told that Shiva would be from a beast race that we haven't seen before. Um, and it sounds like some things have changed a little bit. Um, and to please look forward to it. So um, should be interesting to, to see what they come up with. Um, but he says that um, he can tell us about um, what it's like creating a new race since they did that with you know the original launch and a 2.0. And he tells us that when creating a new beast tribe or race, you have to start out with an image. Um, their process is very visual. Um, the company has always been about you know art and graphics, and so they start with a piece of artwork that's been you know done and redone. And he was talking about you know he sees some really early concept um, for some of the beast tribes, and then you know they finally get that finalized piece of artwork, and it's like wow, that's really cool. Um, and so after that's finalized. Um, it goes to the lore team and they start to build up the lore um, and how they'll fit into the world and you know like where they come from um, and so what he's involved with is naming schemes and language um, which he really enjoys um, they have to decide how they're going to write names for these tribes but um, to do that they have to decide what type of sounds that their language is based on um, if you guys remember like the um, I think the last time we talked to him, um, he made a mention of the, the Sahagin and how they have that kind of like talking underwater kind of like thing. Um, and, you know, they also have to decide, um, you know, are they a knowledgeable race? Are they like an advanced or a low tech civilization? Um, and then there's also an aesthetic side to it where they have to make something that looks good in Katakana. Um, Obviously, Japanese and English are very different languages, so, um, you know, there's things that you can do in English that you can't do in Japanese or that you can do in Japanese, but, you know, they don't, maybe don't sound cool in English. And so uh, coming up with something that works in Japanese but doesn't feel bland in English and also feels unique compared to the other tribes uh, is something that can be challenging, um, but also a lot of fun. Um, and then there's also, uh, he tells us, some things that they've made that the players haven't seen yet. Um, when they were working on the sylphs, um, he tells us that he actually came up with a whole sylph language um, that hasn't been in the game anywhere, and he's hoping that he can maybe sneak some of this into the next patch, um, which is really cool. Um, and I, I made a, a remark like, oh, so at FanFest, you know, we'll all be able to speak sylph to each other then, you know, thinking about like Star Trek conventions and people talking Klingon. And he says there's only going to be, be a few words, uh, a few words, but uh, 
he's able to sneak in a little bit, but hopefully that'll be in there and that's something that we can look forward to. Um, and he tells us there's also hints in there as well um, that are, you know, you can tell that it's based off of certain things because, um, you know, they'll use a certain type of, of words and um, it'll be influenced by um, things that have been part of, you know, like their history and everything. Um, and so that should be pretty cool. I love when they hide little things in there like that. Yes. Because then we just start pulling them all together and speculating and speculating and speculating. And that's that's what he wants. And then, you know, yes. we'll speculate off base for a while and then we'll have to call him back into the forums. Yeah, and clear he, it up. he says he <laughs> says I love I love uh, stuff like that, where instead of telling the history straight out, you leave little hints about it. Uh, and I, you know, I told him, well, like, yeah, and then you do that. And then we have to come and ask you directly about that. Um, and then, you know, he has to go on the forums and, you know, tell people what he really meant. Uh, you know, enough speculation. I'm just going to, you know, this is how it is. And um, but he really likes to uh, let everybody speculate um, because he likes to see what people come up with. It's it's funny that this was a question about these tribes to begin with, because um, the entire process reminds me of what happened with the name of Talamud. Uh, trying mm -hmm. to come up with something that sounds great in both English yes. and Japanese and can also be expressed in both written languages. Right. And, um, Which also is actually a different word that has changed. Right. Because right. <laughs> we he came up he came up with that whole great thing of how Dalamut is actually the word Bahamut changed by uh, centuries of uh, oral tradition and inaccurate record keeping. Centuries of people that really suck at playing telephone. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Nothing ever goes well that long. And um, I remember asking why it was just a completely different word in Japanese if he had this great history behind it. And we were like, well, we think it sounds cool. I was like, OK, well, that's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> Works for us. Um, next, um, we'd asked him, uh, and this is something we, we had an idea um, about it kind of on the surface of things. Um, he's actually done some of the vocal work for the music in the game. Um, and so we asked about the creative process. Um, and, and how he's involved with uh, some of the different vocal tracks. Um, and this is interesting. This actually, he said, it started back in Final Fantasy XI um, when they did Distant Worlds, um, which was the kind of end theme for the uh, Chains of Hermathia expansion pack. Um, and he says this was the first time he ever worked with lyrics on a game. Um, and so he worked with the main scenario writer on that. Um, and he also got to work with uh, with Uematsu as well, doing some of these, which is he says it was freaking awesome um, to get the opportunity like that was really exciting. Uh, and that kind of got his foot in the door as far as the music is concerned. Um, and so uh, for 14, when Soken came on board, um, he said that he'd like me to keep uh, him to uh, keep doing songs. And so, um, you know, he talks about how Soken is you know on the cutting edge when it comes to music and, and the whole kind of music department over at Square. Um, and there's a lot of things that he wants to do, um, like including music with more vocals. And, you know, back in back in the Famicom days, you know, you're restricted to a few channels of, of like, you know, beeps and boops. And uh, now you can do, you know, recordings and full orchestrations. And he really is, is into that kind of stuff. Um, and so there's a lot of songs now with lyrics in them. Um, and he keeps coming back to, to Koji. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and he really uh, enjoys the process. Um, usually, um, Soken's process, uh, is he'll hum into a recorder while he's, you know, going home or like waiting for a train or something. Um, and then next day he'll come into work and he'll make a song based on that. Um, and once he has that, he'll take it and put in like a guide, uh, like a piano or an organ or something, uh, and send it to Koji and say, okay, I want lyrics for this and you have three days. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then what Koji will do, um, is he'll try and 
kind of do like the same process where um, he'll get the song and he'll listen to it while he's, you know, going home or, you know, walking somewhere for lunch. Um, and, you know, after about 20 or 30 times of looping the song over, um, he just kind of starts to hear the words uh, pop into his head, which is kind of a like weird, right? You're just listening. It's like, I don't remember words in here. Why am I hearing words now? Um, and they aren't just like random words either because um, of obviously of his his knowledge of the world. Um, you know, um, he will have ideas like when he was um, listening to the Titan song, you know, he knows about Titan and everything. And so, you know, those words would come to him that were also, you know, obviously connected to uh, to Titan. Um, and he also talks about that um, with the primals, uh, all the primal tracks, while they're, you know, all, while all the primals aren't technically connected, right, they're all kind of connected because, you know, they're all in Eorzea. There's all the beast tribes and everything. There's, you know, they all come from like the Aether. It's like they're the same, but they're not, right? Um, and so you'd think that all of these primals kind of know each other in a way, right? They've heard of each other. And so the themes um, are similar, even though each uh, primal and tribe has its kind of own agenda. It's all the same. Um, there's, you know, there's definitely some connections there. And so in the lyrics, um, he'll try and keep some of the things the same. So he'll use certain words um, that, you know, he used in one and he'll try and use them in another song. And so there's these little kind of connections throughout these tracks. Uh, for example, um, he says that, you know, he used terms like forsaken in one and said, OK, this is a theme used with all the primals. So I want to make sure that I, you know, kind of sneak it in other ones as well. And you'll see that, um, you know, they're connected and there's some words that are the same as other ones to keep those themes kind of alive and going while still having an original flavor for each one. Since, you know, after all, they're all independent primals, but they still kind of share that same kind of grouping in a way. Um, and then he talks about uh, actually singing uh, for some of these tracks. Um, Sokin said, oh, yeah, you should sing it. It'll be great. Um, you know, and he says, well, I've never, you know, sang out anything before the uh, the Good King Mogulmog track. And he's like, oh, no, you, you'll sing it. And because it's Moogles, you should change your voice. And I'll add a bunch of effects. And it'll be fine. Uh, and then Titan comes up and he says, oh, yeah, you got to sing Titan, too. Uh, and the way Koji was explaining this to me, Sokin is, you know, telling him, he's like, channel your inner, like, disturbed. Uh, and so Koji went home that night and listened to a bunch of disturbed albums. Um, and he says, you know, I don't know if it worked or not, but people seem to like it. So maybe a fan fest, they'll give me to sing it or something kind of like an old Star Onions type of thing. And they'll bring a band to fan fest, um, which would that'd be kind of cool. Um, and then for Leviathan, um, some people already know this. Actually, originally they had female uh, vocals, but um, Yoshida wanted it changed at the last minute. And so uh, it was all Soken that ended up singing it. And so Koji was saying he had to help him with his English because he kept asking me if he was pronouncing things right. And I said, it doesn't matter. It's punk. It's rock. It's all about ah. Like <laughs> that part I actually find hysterical because um, I read in another interview with Soken a long time ago. Well, not so long ago, but an older interview um, that one of his favorite bands and influences is Rage Against the Machine. And mm -hmm. they, they pronounce anything however it sounds best in the song. <laughs> So I don't, I don't think Sokin should worry about it at all. Just yell. No. Now I'm sitting here looking up lyrics because I'm like, wait, 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 isn't isn't Forsaken in Answers too? And now I'm I'm it reading, is. I'm reading that chunk from Answers, going, maybe that's really about the primals. And now we'll have a new oh, wrong thread in the forums <laughs> pretty soon. What have we? 
<laughs> what have we done? I'm looking I'm looking at the line and I'm like, our souls have been torn and our bodies forsaken. I'm like, oh, the origin of the primals. We found it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, don't do this now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, no. But no, I'm going to be going through. Koji's going to listen to this be like, no, stop. You're looking too far. No, it stops. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Shut There's it down. There's a line. Shut You're it starting down. to cross over it. Oh, man. <laughs> That's really funny. Now, I'm going to go back to um, a few of the songs that they've given us lyrics to. Garuda didn't have that many, but there are a few in them. Titan and Leviathan both do. I'm assuming Ramu is going to at some point, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I would assume so. I would love to see what words creep up over and over and see if we can start forming just not not like a cogent picture, but some kind of abstract. Maybe, you know, maybe if you take every other word from from the songs, <laughs> if you arrange them in in the, the the like the hot to cool color palette, you'll get like a whole story. No, yeah, you finally break <laughs> everything down. You remove the repeats. Oh, makes sense look, now, right? Yeah. Look, looking at the final pattern, it's just Half Life Three confirmed. As, yes, I was <laughs> gonna say yeah. You place like every S with a W in Half Life Three. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Um, next up, uh, we'd ask, there's some animations in the game. Um, I'll use summoners out there that I, it's funny because I, you know, I don't usually use like Tri Disaster, but every, th- every so often I'll, I'll throw it out there because I think it looks really cool. <laughs> um, and they use these animations for some of these abilities. Um, even some of the, um, like the weapons in game. I think the, um, some of the newer, uh, the books, when you open them, they kind of have uh, an animation that has some some text revolving. Um, and so we asked about these um, and, you know, asked if you could tell us what some of them say um, and how they decide, you know, for that text, you know, what that text actually is um, and, and you know, why they get added into it there. And he says that the art team will come uh, to them with the design and say, all right, we want to use text uh, in, you know, some that's, you know, looks like an ancient glyph or something like that. Um, and so then he'll base it off of existing lore and um, think of the types of like cants or things that could go in there um, that would fit um, the lore for the type of spell that it is. And uh, he says usually they transform those into Aorzean. Um, and so what we'll see a lot of these times in these animations is Aorzean. Um, and sometimes depending on the type of spell, um, it can be more kind of like ancient glyphs. Um, they actually have a set of glyphs um, from previous eras as well. Um, and all of them do have meaning. Um, whether the team will release them or not, um, you know, he's not sure. We'd probably need a lot of people banging on the doors for that. So bang on doors, people. <laughs> that would be really cool to see. Now I'm just going to uh, be taking all these screenshots. Right. Um, they also say that um, we know that the hunt is coming up. Um and we've seen they kind of have like that wanted poster kind of thing when you start the hunt, right? Um, and they, you know, he talks about that on-screen graphic that's actually really detailed. Um, and all the text on there um, they wrote in kind of like an archaic Victorian English with weird spellings and, and awkward grammar. So it all sounds really official. Um, and some of the text might be a little small, but um, some of it can be read. So um, he thinks we'll have a lot of fun deciphering that. So look forward to that. 
There's another one that I'm actually looking forward to right now because um, the only font I've ever been able to confirm aside from the Aorzean is the one where it gets really small and they just start using anything like there's it's the backwards N that always gives it away. Mm. Um, I'll be looking at it for a while. and I'll be like, oh, wait, that's the N. Oh, it's backwards. This has been like 45 minutes trying to translate it. And then you yeah. find that one. You're like, oh, I'm done. You can, if you look at the, the map of Aorzea, almost all of it is in readable Aorzean kind of English. Um, right above the word Aorzea on the top left of the map, I think it was, there's a little example of that gibber font and you can find it in a f everything smaller than um, the little island chain near Limsa Limsa that I won't even attempt to pronounce. Um, everything smaller than that is in what I call like the gibber font. And every now and then I'll analyze something and it will come back as that. I'm like, D Damn it. Um, <laughs> but the only thing I've been able to confirm aside from those two is in the labyrinth of the ancients. And there's that like center floor panel at the crossroads that has all of the symbols. Yeah. And I'm looking every time I walk over it, I'm thinking like, is this the Rosetta Stone to being able to read the warning glyphs that come up on the pillars and the names of the rooms above the door. And uh, now I'm mm. I'm even more motivated to go back and see if any of that can be I never figured out. Maybe. Yeah, there's there's a few glyphs here and there on the wall, but that one square panel has all of them. Yeah. And um, I mean, clearly there's there's a few things you're supposed to be able to read. Um, one of the things that locks you out of the room is made entirely of those glyphs. The red thing that circles the tower is made of those glyphs. There's got to be mm. something. And I, the only reason I haven't is I'm paranoid. It's going to be like when we tried to translate Talamid <laughs> and all that work to figure out it's the alphabet repeated. Or it's like, you know, in, in Allegan, the, the red thing around the tower just says like hit button or something. Like, yeah, right. It's like have... just a giant joke. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. I don't even know if it's elegant anymore because, like, the Labyrinth of the Ancients looks so much different than the rest of their tech. Like, was that yeah. already there when they got there? Why is it full of Ashkin and Void Scent? That's another so What we need is them to release <laughs> that set of glyphs. So I'll just, we'll make a thread with a picture of a door and we'll just have people do, like, a one-word bang post since it was people banging on the doors. I hate asking about like new content because you know that there's you should always give them an opportunity to come back and answer those questions. They've been really good about it lately. So I'm going to wait until we see what's in Circus Tower mm. before I come back. Like, you know, other than lips? other than Zandy, which yeah. is weird because I feel like that's too early. Right. Is, is I actually did not look at that post yet. Is it confirmed that he's in this new one? It's it's or, it's Skilla, Aman and Zandy. Huh. That does, having it, been said, it also they all they all look like they're out of Tron. Like they have these like kind of blue like highlight lines and stuff, which makes me like question the authenticity of them. Like, are they the real? Like, you know, I don't know. It, it well, we know the weird. the dark matter stuff has all those weird blue lines on them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. I don't know. I'm looking at the art now. Uh, and of course, the other thing, too, is we don't know how many installments of the Crystal Tower will have. Right. Correct. You know, we can presume that there's probably three or four. Well, definitely three, maybe four installments for Coil. So would it be the same for to Crystal Tower then? Because, you know, if 
if it's Skilla, Oman, and, and Zandi, then we know the next one will have to be, uh, you know, Cloud of Darkness, right? Which would be presumably the last one. So, I don't know. Okay. I mean, this is... Oh, no, no. There's a few other ones that were in the art that we haven't seen yet, I think. Yeah, there's the there's the Araman. Okay, uh, yeah. So... No, I was ex- I was expecting Zondas to be the end. I was expecting him to be the king behemoth of of the next one and have Cloud of Darkness be more of the Acheron. Yeah. But, so we'll see where that goes. It's definitely Cause, cause interesting. Isn't Zandi isn't supposed to be like at the top of Crystal Tower? Well, according to the legend. Or te- technically, he's just in there somewhere, right? Right. According <laughs> so. to the legend, and the legend we now know is very wrong. Um well, not very wrong, but very incomplete, at least. Because um, when, when we were first told about it, Eric told us that the Crystal Tower was a giant crystal tomb for Zondas. And we all thought, oh, that sounds familiar, hoping to resurrect himself um, or stave off death somehow. And I figured, well, everybody figured really that that was going to be the end of Crystal Tower. And we now know that it's a kind of like an energy conversion storage place for the Alagons harvesting of solar power. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't fit in quite well with what we know yet. So is, there's obviously more to the legend. Yeah, because after after that bit, I'll have to make sure to put a spoiler warning in the beginning of this episode, um, especially with some of the other stuff. But, um, you know, after getting into that, that coil cut scene where they're like, yeah, Dalamud was just kind of like channeling power to the crystal tower and Bahamut was just kind of like a battery and after I read that I was like this makes me really scared of who's in the crystal tower (laughs) if you know if they're trapping Bahamut into a spaceship so that they can power this thing housing you know Zandis like that's I'm a little more afraid of him than Bahamut right now Uh, but if he's just like gonna be in like the middle like the second section of the tower i don't know what to think i'm curious about where most of that energy was going i mean was it to power just like crystal tower and zondes or was it just everything did they finally realize wow with all this magitech we're gonna need a lot more power we might as well set up a you know a space station but what are we gonna use as a transistor nothing can handle that much energy how about Uh, that dragon that's been flying around yeah that works i got an idea (laughs) We're going to kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be I'm really interested to uh, to get the story in line for for Circus Tower because. Yeah, I'm going at the pace we've been going. I'm starting to get a little worried that it's not going to follow the Final Fantasy 11 tradition where each expansion is a unique story. I don't know how much of it we can wrap up by then. Well, I mean, we you know, we figured they're, they're, they've already said that you know, with the expansion, there's going to be a new dungeon to replace Coil, right? So Coil will have to be wrapped up by then. Um, That's good. Maybe maybe they'll have some kind of end game, but not hardcore end game like raid as well to accompany that kind of like Crystal Tower. I, we don't know. It's hard to say. I've noticed that every other patch, it tends to follow this pattern of here's a really challenging really thin vertical grind climb 
And then a, a few months later, you get the alternate patch, which is the here is all of the horizontal content that is going to help you do that climb easier now yeah. that the hardcores are already there laughing at you. Right. Which, I mean, it's, it's a good way to do it, right? It, it, lets it keeps everybody people. happy. Yeah. Yeah. It Absolutely. does keep everybody happy because, I mean, there are a lot of people who are are taking a break right now because they feel that there's so little to do with that thin vertical climb. But, I mean, looking back at a lot of people who are saying that, they weren't done with the horizontal stuff in the last patch yet. Right. Those people so haven't tried to do the sightseeing log yet. <laughs> it definitely goes both ways in terms of that judgment. But I do think that releasing it as a thin vertical climb early will keep the more hardcore challenge seeking players happy and mm -hmm. i don't know those those two camps tend to be the loudest voices in the forums so if you can right. quell both of them that's that's a good thing mm -hmm. the thing that gets me about zondis though if we go back to that is on his belt he has a very clear representation of the sun possibly mm -hmm. and i'm wondering how that ties into everything is it just is he trying to become king of the sun with solar power? Is this related to Azima in any maybe way? Maybe he's just bragging that he's like the first yeah. elegant emperor to go green. I <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what is that connection? Great. Maybe he's trying to trying to at. trying to promote it and get like a tax write off on it. I don't know. Did the elegans to have taxes? Maybe that's our next lore question. Did <laughs> the, the elegans pay taxes? taxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We would just get like a look if we asked that. Like, why would you even? Was this yeah. also related to the Garleans being based on the Roman Empire, where the Maricidians eventually annexed in as citizens without a vote? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Looking too much into it. <laughs> yep. That's what we do here. Um, uh, we'll move in here to the, the next question. Um, for those that played 1.0, um, you'll remember that in the uh, Limson story arc, uh, there was a man that did not have a shadow. Um, and he was, in fact, an Asian, which does mean shadowless one. Um, in 2.0, Asians have shadows. So that kind of... Hmm. So we asked what happened to shadow, uh, Asian shadows. And so he says uh, it's about perception. People see what they want to believe or what they already do believe. So Asian legend has been around for a long time in Eorzea, uh, and there's a lot of rumors abound. So when rumors are said over and over again, they start to become fact, kind of like when people talk about aliens. There's that kind of you know gray alien, and that's kind of become the alien when people talk about aliens. And so it's one of those things where you start to believe what you're supposed to believe. Um, and the Asian legend is so old, and there's a lot of things that are attached to it. Um, and so people start seeing what they already believe. It's Redcon. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I'm seeing what I believe, and I believe the new engine does not allow you to disable shadows on one thing at a time. That's, um, I guess. There's yeah. a guy There's a guy I talked to on my server, uh, Eleanor, who, that's, that's his theory, is it's just you can't do that now. So now... Good. We have Elidibus come in and say, look, you can't see what we really look like anyway. It's it's going to change as you understand better, which is actually a great explanation. As If it is a retcon, that's a great way to do it. Like those magic eye books. Some people can see it. Some people can't. <laughs> <laughs> and some people just permanently get their eyes crossed and just look silly. Some people see a 3D image without a shadow behind it. <laughs> um, 
pause. No, um, <laughs> yeah, Travon Chet was very strange. I have, I have no idea what was up there. I think it might have been like, um, like with Thancred that he was just an Elizin who ended up getting dark crystals along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, that would mean that in the past five years, our beliefs changed enough that the same thing happening to Thancred would be seen differently. And I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna take take it for what it's worth from the team that we see what we believe and things have changed since then enough or even just a point of view of who was around to see it at the time um people kind of miss it unless you're looking for it but every time we run into Thancred and yashola and that group they are at a radically different stage of their life um mm-hmm. like in 1.0 the first time we met them was uh 10 years before the present day. And they were just coming in from the still standing Charlian city state, trying to figure out if we're going to war with the empire. Right. And then when we meet back up with them for the seventh umbral era, it's been 10 years. They've had 10 years of research and half of their um, city has gone back home to the motherland. And they have all of this new information that they didn't have back then. And it's so easy to miss that just because it's only been a few quests for us. It's been 10 years for them. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me when we got back to A Realm Reborn was they suddenly had all of this information about Asians and, you know, the fall of the era. And I'm like, where was this five years ago? That would have been really handy. And then I realized, right, that I've I've been asleep this whole time. You've had plenty of time to hit the books, haven't you? My bad, guys. I was taking a nap. Uh, well, at least we finally caught up with him. It doesn't seem like there's going to be any more any more time jumping. So no more Deus Ex Machina in terms of them or, getting or more information. Something will happen. They'll be like, "Oh, did we did we forget to tell you? <laughs> did, we, did we did we leave that part out? Sorry." About By that. the way, we found a library, ancient hidden Alog library, and now we have all sorts of great new information to go on. Did nobody did nobody tell you? We all have we all have we library have cards. Library. Did you not get one? That's the new theory about what's under Boulder Downs. Library, yeah. Sightseeing log told us that it's dark matter, like the boulder downs. How did it really? We were all trying to figure out what that structure was. If it was like where Riven Road took off, my favorite theory now crushed. Yeah. Uh, no, it is it is dark matter, hmm. which opens the door of okay. So there's there's more Alog ruins there. What's in there? That doesn't seem to be one of the three main coils. Please look forward to it. There you go. Um, let's see. Next up here. Um, what happens to a person when they become tempered by a primal? Uh, how much of their identity remains? Um, and additionally, um, there's some different words getting thrown around. Um, there's tempered, there's drowned and touched. Um, we asked them to um, explain uh, the differences uh, with the terminology. He says, back in 1.0, um, with that first battle with Ifrit, the whole thing, right, is that Ifrit has his blue flames that he spits out. Uh, and that's what tempers people. Um, and, you know, there, would use, there used to be NPCs that would say, no, you know, I'd rather die than be tempered because it does take all of you away. You know, it tempers you and removes part of your will um, to make you more acceptable to the teachings of Ifrit and the Amulja. Um, how much of the identity remains depends on how much tempering has been done, which I, and I, I didn't know this. I found this interesting. So you don't actually get a full tempering. Uh, like in one shot, right? Um, one tempering will remove some of your will, um, but you'll still have some of your consciousness. Um, 
there's uh, the serpent reefers back in 1.0 that we would talk about. Uh, you know, they were the drowned, right? Um, but they would still talk about their lives in the past, um, which was interesting. Um, and so there's still a little bit of them left, um, but they're convinced of, you know, the true power of Ifrit or Leviathan or whoever. Um, and so the more a person is tempered, um, the more of themselves they lose. Uh, and currently, there's no known way to cure the tempering. Currently. Um, and that's an interesting comment to make. Um, for those that actually read the daily uh, quests, um, you'll know that the Amulja actually tried to cure tempering. Um, it didn't really work. Um, but, you know, that they were trying to do that. And the response that we had from this makes me think that that might uh, play a role going forward here, which would be really cool to see. I'm dreading that moment where you have like that that instance in a zombie movie where you find a cure and you're thinking, oh, OK, if only we knew that before we slaughtered all those people. Mm. So, I mean, we're still in that stage right now where you have no choice but to put them down. So if there is no cure, how aggressively should we be pursuing one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Or should we just nuke the site from orbit? Right. Um, but. In terms of in terms of tempering, this one doesn't surprise me too much after the Amal's Jaw dailies. Have you finished them? Yeah. Okay, so you saw the... That gets really dark at the end. That does, <laughs> yes. That, that, I thought, showed a really good spectrum yeah. of, of what the possible temperings are. Because you have the guy who is basically still from Little Al Amigo... Um, still works in their guards, still part of their daily life. Everything about him is the same, except for the fact that he thinks we're all totally blind and stupid because we can't see that Ifrit is the one true God. Mm -hmm. And that seems like stage one. Just you yeah. have this epiphany. Oh, my, Ifrit really is the one true God. And then after enough temperings, you've gotten to the point where the only two parts of you that are left are your love of Ifrit and your knowledge that you have a daughter and you're clinging your rock, hoping to introduce this rock to Ifrit someday. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like that, that kind of like you found Jesus, except you found Ifrit. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely that saved moment. Yeah. Uh, for for whichever primal has gotten a hold of you. The the next part of it, though, is part where I'm I'm actually going to have to eat my hat a little bit. The terminology uh, uh, this has come up in the forums a few times mm -hmm. um, with people thinking that there might be a pattern going on and that there might be more to this hint. And, and my first reaction was, nah. Um, I mean, we see if it temper, yeah, temper can mean control or moderate, or it can mean to uh, to heat and to make stronger in heat. But I didn't think it was connected to Ifrit because it was also for the sylphs. We mm -hmm. have a mob named Tempered Sylph. We have journal data that says these Tempered Sylphs. And I was thinking, okay, maybe the Sylphs just call it touched. Maybe the Lominsons just called it drowned. But no, there is a bit of a naming scheme now. I was wrong. I wonder I wonder if this is a newer thing or if it's... Well, if you think about, like, if, if the Sylphs were tempered, right? Um, I, would, you, would you... Obviously, you know, they worship Ramu. Would they would they be would you call them shocked like you know that doesn't sound right um you know if, think, if you get hit by lightning you would think that you would get heated up right because in, in the interview so maybe it works in the interview um fernhalls mentioned that touched could go for garuda mm -hmm. 
Um, so if touched could go for Garuda and Ramu, I imagine you just use whatever is most. I active. feel like I feel like touched could just be like the fallback for if they don't have um, a, a word. Well, let's let's yeah. go over over that part here and then we'll we'll talk about it. Um, for for Ifrit, uh, the process is his blue flame. That's what he uses to temper people for Leviathan. Um, you'll get dunked in the holy water and you become drowned. Um, it's, you know, it's the same process, right? It's the same effect, but it's done differently. Um, for Garuda, you're being touched by her gales of tempering. And so they call it touched. Um, it's that element washing over a person and taking that, you know, that part of them away. Um, so you can assume that there's going to be something similar with, with Ramu and Shiva, um, you know, something like shocked or frozen, you know, something like that. Um, and I, I told him I can't wait for all the Frozen references with all the Shiva quests. And he just started laughing, saying he's already working on quest titles. <laughs> oh, man. Half brilliance, half a desire to make people just look at it and go, oh, I just I just can't wait to, to try, you know, to fight Shiva and let it go extreme mode. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just flashing back to how how proud he was of, of things like Quake Me Up Before You, Ogamoro. And yes. uh, I just died in six arms tonight. Just uh. that. That perfect mix of that's brilliant and why would you do that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we have, okay, we have tempered, we have drowned and touched. Um, but Titan isn't isn't mentioned in here. And that was one of those things like after the interview, after, you know, we were gone and he was gone. I, th I thought, well, crap, what's Titan do then? <laughs> um, so I don't I don't know. But if if, you know, if they're using tempered for sylphs, I don't know if that's something they'll go back if if this naming scheme is, is a newer kind of development if they'll go back and change some of that or if it's you know I don't know that's a good question it does seem to be a newer thing right. I don't know about a new thing but um, if you take all of the game text out of it like the system text that's what I was falling back on because a lot, of, a lot of times you'll find the truth in the system text um, the NPCs are biased they have perceptions but the truth is usually in the journal Mm -hmm. uh, this one is a bit of a roundabout to that because it calls the selves tempered when we know that the selves call themselves touched. And I assume that it's it's going to fall back on that fate that says they've bathed in the leaven light. So I imagine that he might just glow and you kind of bathe in the glow for a minute. Um, so that could be touched again. I um, think it'd just be funnier to see Ramu just like shocking all the selves. <laughs> you know, they start off great and he just wax them with a stick and they turn purple and it's like all right next <laughs> that's that's how i'm gonna imagine it happens oh the freedom of speculation <laughs> i'm curious about titan though because i can't think of i can't think of what you would do i mean you can't just stone them <laughs> stone <laughs> yeah all these, the, all these kobolds walking around they're just stone like stone, stone is a great like, name like, for wow. it I didn't I didn't know the cold the kobold uh, partook, especially <laughs> that group I've been hanging out with for the kobold dailies. They're a little stone. They, they got that. Yeah, they got a screw loose for sure. Just laying around, not really want to do anything, they, telling they me to go steal stone, other people's lunch. Like, that explains so much. No, I imagine I don't I have no idea what's up with, and with uh, Titans. He can't know, just smack with a rock. That's why I mentioned the idea that maybe like, like yes, he mentions touch to Garuda specifically, but. Um, realistically, if anything gets primal, they've been touched by something, right? right. So, 
Well, Garuda, um, the Garuda one makes more sense. Do you remember um, when he was saying Garuda's winds touch you so you could be touched by Garuda? I fell back on one of the examples I used before. Um, when Garuda figures out that you have already been claimed by something, by Heidelin, mm. the first thing she says is, she has touched you. So if that's her term too, that makes so much sense. That's a connection I never would have noticed before right. now. When it comes to Titan, I imagine that that he just... Um, so, so, so wait, wait. Holy shit, are we tempered? Oh no, don't bring this back. <laughs> <laughs> oh no that that thread went on way too long oh. and i'm like my first instinct is of course not heidelin is not a primal this is like the totally whole, like, mass different. effect three you're indoctrinated like <laughs> and now i i'm i'm done commenting on stuff like that because it's always victory with a side of crow i'm gonna have to come back <laughs> and just eat that crow like yeah we were tempered all along We'll see, we'll see what happens. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe Zodiac is actually like the good guy, and Heidelin's been playing us this whole time, and we're just tempered, and we didn't, we didn't see it. I, I do think that there might be an aspect to this that Heidelin is a little too zealous about spreading the light, and that's what pisses off the darkness when the imbalance grows, and that maybe it was her maybe. fault. It could be. He's like, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna bring a little light over here? I'm trying to read a book. It's kind of dark this over is here. All, this is all coming out soon, though, so I just don't even want to try. It, we'll be told. I'll be, I'll new... be very curious to see how much of that, um, that kind of Zodiac, your Zodiac stuff kind of I, I feel like it's it's going to just keep going and going and going. Right. But it's it's got to kind of wind down for the expansion. Right. Maybe to a oh. degree. Um, I'm wondering if the Asian thing is going to keep going and they're just going to close the Alag Bahamut loop. Um, yeah, because they have a lot more primals on the shelf, don't they? They said that they have ones coming oh, yeah. out that we've never dreamed of. So. We know, we know maybe Typhon, they... Typhon at some point is coming. We know there's concept art for Fenrir, Kate, Sith. I mean, maybe this whole return of Alog technology is actually just one arc in several arcs and that the Asians will end up being kind of the uh, chains of Hermathia in the end. Or or maybe maybe after taking out uh, the students of Aldessian, whoever did that accidentally rips open another aether seal and <laughs> guys oh, is just sitting there in his airship oh, not again <laughs> i'm so curious i really want to know if he's gone for good or not um i feel his, like he's not his story has had that full circle it's over it's a great story but at the same time he didn't do the final fantasy i have you know wings and a i have 27 crown. forms <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know I'm just, interesting. Going, I'm just going to assume that Titan has something to do with vibration, that maybe he gives like this deep Buddhist meditation hum in your direction and you vibrate and now you're tempered. There you go. Because he's earthquakes. So that's <laughs> that's my assumption until we get something better. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I, I, I feel like Gaius has got to come back, right? And that was <laughs> one of my, my, I don't know if I'd call it like a, like a peeve or whatever, but of, of with 2.2, um, they mention, and this is all they do, they mention a war of succession. And I'm thinking, like, holy crap, that's huge, right? And they, like, underplay it so much. So so that has to come out at some point and be like, holy crap, look what happened while you guys were busy with, like, Leviathan, right? I've, so. I've been 
operating under the assumption that because the story was so full circle that Gaius made one last play and risked everything he was and lost everything yeah. that 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 was the end and I've been taking it for granted that he knew a war of, of succession was coming that mm-hmm. he knew because he had killed so many aspirants to the crown himself and so that's 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 why I think he's still alive and he's going after like our intel guys he's like all right I'm cutting you guys off from them because I'm going to do something else and I don't want you to know anything about, you know, like I feel like he's kind of creeping back. I have no idea. Picture. I'm very curious. Mm. Like usually I'd be pissed if they brought someone back who was apparently dead. But yeah. Gaius, I feel like he had a kind of a shallow death. I would be I absolutely would forgivable. I would agree with that. Yeah. And if you and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> nice. If you want to see Gaius's death is powerful. You have to know a lot more you than is readily available. Yeah, if you know everything, it is a great rise and fall story, which makes me think like, oh, I should make another Raven story thing. Uh, if you know everything, Gaius's story is pretty complete. But if you don't, that feels like a really shallow death. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to say if he's coming back or if Nero is the one doing all of this. That's right. That's that's the other question, right? Because we know he's still alive and we know he has a certain interest in a certain tower made of crystal. Um, and so what's going to happen with that? Hmm. I feel I felt like we got a decent clue about that when um, we got into Crystal Tower and saw the um, Iron Claws and the Colossus, the um, Iron Giants, because those are the two things that he brought to the Magitek world. Right. Yeah. So uh, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. I. I I'm of the theory because he was the one that kind of helped find the Ultima weapon, right? Out right. In uh, in was it that was Alamigo, right? Yeah, it was under Alamigo. And so I I I just feel like it would fit perfectly if whatever he finds results in like an Omega weapon, right? Like that would kind of make sense, right? But that's that's something I imagined early on. Yeah, that we were gonna see the Ultima eventually improved into the Omega. We'll just have to wait and see. Oh, the speculation. <laughs> All right. Uh, this next one, major spoilers. Um, ever since people started getting access to turn four of the second binding coil, there's been a lot of OMGs and WTFs uh, regarding what was under the helmet of a certain character that uh, that reappeared. Um, and so we see... Nail, deuce, darnest, not van, darnest, deuce, darnest. There is a huge difference, people. Huge difference. Um, and deuce, darnest takes off the helmet, and we see a female face, which was unexpected, to, to say the least. Um, my theory was that it was like Bradamante. I love that theory. I was so into that theory. I like that a lot. I'm so glad I didn't put money on it. <laughs> um, Koji says it is not Radamanti because she was killed by Nail Van Darnus. Um, he says ever since that kill, um, you can think that Nail started to lose his marbles after that whole incident with with Bradamante. Um As for that being Bradamante, no, that is not Bradamante. Um As for who it might be, speculate, speculate, speculate. <laughs> Please look forward to it. Um, yeah, as as for Nail Van Darnus being a female, um, he says up until recently, no one has seen under that mask. Um, and so when you never see what's under a mask, people start to assume things. So, yeah, 
what really was under the mask of Nail Vandarnas. This is going to be one of those times that I, I use system stuff and I get way too confident in it. Um, the reason I loved the idea that it was Bradamante was because um, part of the dialogue and the story hints that this face might have been of a distant memory. And I was it, thinking, wouldn't it have been romantic if Bradamante was someone Garlean that he killed uh, when the first tempering through the lunar transmitter occurred? Mm-hmm. When he when he still had some of himself, but was convinced of almighty Dalamid's power. And maybe she questioned this somehow and he put her down for it. Um, and I was thinking maybe as he died, that was the last thing he was thinking of. So when Bahamut recreated him with all of that ethereal uh, stuff going on, that maybe that last image in Nail's mind is what Nail Deus Darnus turned and out. And I love to be. that. I love that, was, that theory. That was so good. I'm I'm a little heartbroken to know that's not the case. <laughs> that's the only bad thing about this speculation, is when you have you get like such, so into an idea and then they're like, nope. Not, there's so much crowdsourcing of ideas that you get all of the best ideas together, and then that you can tell every now and then that the guys in the back room are like, yeah, we should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> So we have no idea now who is under the mask of Nail Von Darnus or uh, Deus Darnus. Um, I'm still convinced that Von Darnus was a dude only because um, in the, you know, like uh, websites like DB Mm -hmm. in the list of um, mob names and stuff like that. He was categorized with male Ellison and all of his his emoticons were male Ellison. And I was thinking, all right, case closed. And now I'm I'm like, well, I guess maybe case open. Right. So I have just more retconning. I've, you know, all all we know now, not Bradamante. No, I was so like, I love that theory so much, which leads into the second part of your question, because one of my favorite pieces of support for that theory was the first thing that this unmasked Deus Darnus does is uh, reclaim the spear by creating another one. Mm hmm. And yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. Bradamante's back. Uh, not the real one, which we'll get into in a moment. But I thought yeah. that was a great symbolism. But no, turns out we're going to have to figure out who that is after all. <laughs> so was it, we'll, was we'll, it the real nail? Right. We'll, we'll touch back on this after this next one, I think. Um, so in the battle with Gilgamesh, right? Um, or Greg or Gilligan or, you know, whatever you want to call him. He attempts to do like this powerful attack at you with what appears to be the Bradamante, the gun halberd, right? Um, but in turn four of the second binding coil, we see Nail Do Starnus with also, you know, a Bradamante looking gun halberd. And so the question is, you know, is which one is the real Bradamante? Are they connected in any way? Um, and so he kind of lays out the timeline of, of the Bradamante for us. So back in the day, Nail used Bradamante, right? We know this. This is a fact. Back in point X, you have the battle with Nail Vandarnus, and you defeat him. Um, the area crumbles around him, and Bradamante falls, right? Then, a Corthan merchant finds Bradamante, and who does he sell it to? This old guy that uses it as a gardening tool in Thanalon. Um, and he decides that it's not really that great, and he just kind of tosses it away in his field. Uh, and then after that, Hildebrand finds it. Um, you know, he tries to use it and ends up getting his ass blown off. And he just, you know, again, it just falls away into Thanalan. And then who finds it after that? Gilgamesh. 
he picks it up and from there we know the rest so yes um the weapon that gilgamesh does have um is in fact the bradamante it is the one that nail used um and koji says you know i know somebody out there is going to say but what about the second battle when you fight nail and he's got that but it dropped right um that second form is when Bahamut was manipulating the Aether. And so everything that Nail was, uh, you know, everything he was using and wearing wasn't real. It was ethereal. Which was part of the, I think, confusion, right, about uh, Deus uh, Darnus, right, was that it wasn't the real one. It was just made up of Aether. So it could totally not be the original, right? Right, right. That's, I'm really glad that that's the turn that this took i was very 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 nervous when it looked like they were pulling the oh ho ho they're not dead until you see the coffin thing you see in like sci-fi shows all the time (laughs) and even then half the time they still come back i'm thinking like stargate and the 20 deaths of daniel jackson um (laughs) but i'm really liking the direction they took with the uh nail deus darnus and the louise of the coil that's really creative i like it a lot but irony of ironies second coil nail deus darnus is the one with fraudamante and gilgamesh who is known for having fraudulent weapons has which is kind one. of funny right and that's that's, that's why we that's assumed true. that you know i always like the the um kind of story behind um you know with with gilgamesh and, and the gun halberd is some bird like takes it away right like comes in swoops it and i always thought how funny would that be if that was, you know, the boss from turn four in the second binding coil, right? It was just kind of flying around. I need to get my weapon back, right? And just takes it from Gilgamesh, goes back into the, the hollow charts. And, I, you know, I, I knew I was stretching it a little bit. I think it would have been funny if that was actually the case. But, uh, yeah, so Gilgamesh has the Bradamante. Maybe that's maybe that's the truth of why Gilgamesh is here. He got here and the first person he meets is Hildebrand and he realized, wow, these people are really easy to trick. I could actually I could actually stop using fake weapons. We'll just collect all the good ones from this realm. <laughs> we get to the top of Crystal Tower and Xandas has Ex- Excalibur. Right. Oh, man, that'd be funny. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, next up. Um, well, it was a little open-ended, so you know we were curious to see what we would get. Um, we asked him what he was most excited about uh, that he was working on for right now that he could talk to us about. Um, we weren't sure what we were going to get, um, but what we did get was actually pretty cool. Um, they're going to be adding a lot of new lore into the game. I mean, like Obviously, they're going to add lore, right? But um, we got a taste of kind of what to expect um, with the sightseeing log that was added in the last patch. Um, You know, each place that you clear, you get a little blurb kind of about that area. And so there's going to be a lot more of that stuff. Um, He says that he's probably translated, created, written like 200 of these things so far. And he has about another 200 or so to go. Um, And it's, you know, it's nothing like force fed to the player. They're just kind of little blurbs that are, you know, going to be in this content and, you know, something you read and you'd be like, oh, okay, like, that's cool. I didn't know that. Um, And so he's really excited to be able to to do that um, because it's doing it that way it's a place to put in lore that um you know it's it's hard to find ways to put the lore in the game you know like with item descriptions you get like two or three lines but you also have to make sure to talk about the item that's why that's how we know like there's tigers in in the jungles around doma right it's like it's you know a description on like a fish or something that was all they could (laughs) 
They're like, well, here's a little bit of information for you. That's all you get. Um, and so now, um, you know, and they also have, um, they talk about, you know, with quests, if they put lore in the quest, then if you want to look at it again, you have to go back and, you know, reaccess the quest or talk to the NPC again. Um, and so with these new logs, um, the data will be right there. The players can go back and reference things easier. Um, so having that is really exciting. Um, they like to be able to expand the game in, in a way that there's never really been a really good place for this lore before. Um, and so it uh, should be a lot of fun. This is one I'm, I'm really stoked about. Um, I think in one of the more recent letters from the producer live, they told us we could look forward to one that tells us about gear. Um, I think you refer to it as a gear compendium that if you collect certain pieces of a set, it'll unlock information about the set. I missed that. Was that was that uh, Thursday? No, it was it was no. the one before oh, this ago. one. Yeah, it, okay. it was one of the older ones. I missed that. Um, they he he mentioned there were a couple data logs coming. The sightseeing log was mentioned. The gear compendium was mentioned, and I think there was a third one that was kind of like an expanded version of your uh, your your quest journal that might have more information in it. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if this one is coming, but I'm really hoping for a bestiary. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, they've kind of danced around that idea before. It's so. I I would be really happy because that project is that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, I think this is a great idea because there are little tidbits about all sorts of things that there is no room for in the game. And I think the best example that I can think of right now is the sightseeing log entry for the Astalicia. Mm. It it tells you that. Um, the Astalicia is a pirate ship and everybody knows it, but that uh, the Knights of the Barracuda have allowed it to stay in because it's officially registered as a uh, foreign trade ship. So mm-hmm. they lied about while they're, why they're there, and it's the worst kept secret. And it, it gives you a hint about the political interplay in Limsa Laminsa that the Knights of the Barracuda really like it, that all of these pirates have a place where they, they meet in town and can be watched and you know where they are and you know what they're doing. So they look the other way on that. It's totally a freaking pirate ship and not a foreign trade vessel. I thought that was great that there's all these little things in there that change the world so much. And I'm looking forward to the new 400. It's a foreign trade vessel that just happens to always be in port. <laughs> I'm, yeah, just all, it never does any trade. The like, only does, thing it seems does the Marauders so Guild ever go anywhere? I mean, it, it is a boat. <laughs> I think the last time they went out was to fight the sea serpent. Mm. That's the last. That would be funny. Like, if you're like, all right, I gotta go flag this Marauder quest, where'd the boat go? <laughs> where's, where's the guild? <laughs> it was, it was right here a minute ago. Are we sure it's a trade vessel? The only thing they seem to export is bodies. Oh. That's hey, bod- bodies is a hot yeah. commodity. In Limsy, yes, it is. Ugh. <laughs> Too fun, though. I love Limsy Limits. It's my favorite place. It's good stuff. Um, I, I, can't, I can't even turn my back on it to go to um, Wolda for all the really great-looking uh, gear that the Grand Company gives out. I can't wear it. I'm heartbroken. Limsy has some really cool stuff looking stuff though too it does it has a lot of really really great looking stuff but it's all red and i tried to keep everything on my character black and i just look at with ah. with envious eyes in the direction of ulda they have like that black lantern shield i want that <laughs> uh, our next question 
Um, it seems like some of the crossover events, uh, the ones, if, if you guys remember, there were uh, crossover events for Final Fantasy XI, uh, Lightning Returns, and Dragon Quest X. Um, it seems like those, and even uh, the Hildebrand quests, um, kind of stretch the boundaries of the, the lore a bit in the world. Um, is it a challenge for the team to work around that, and how do you approach it? And he says, to a lot of players, it's, oh, they're just throwing in some random character and they're ruining the world because, you know, lightning doesn't belong in the Orzia or, you know, it doesn't match the world. And um, it's a challenge in the sense that um, they obviously they want it to fit the world. But the thing is, there's a lot that we don't know um, when it comes to to that. Um, when when something from, you know, Final Fantasy makes an appearance in Eorzea, um, you can't tell us about it since it'll be exposed. It will be explained in the future, um, but there is a reason behind that. It's not random, um, but why it's happening is something that we'll have to wait for. Um, he says when his team started um, working on these things, you know, they thought, oh, God, how are we going to you know, do this? How are we going to explain this? Um, but then we were given the real explanation of why this is happening, and that made it easier, um, which is interesting, right? Yeah. It's kind of a big, possibly big, big possibly, yeah, right? possibly mind blowing. Um, I'm glad I took the sidelines on the whole lightning thing because um, there it was a pretty violent reaction from some camps about that whole thing, either just because they didn't like lightning or because, again, this is not. This is not 13. This is Eorzea. How can I'm in, you just I'm in, I'm in all of the camps that are against it. <laughs> all of the camps. <laughs> and I figured that, I mean, even if it was shoehorning her into the game, that the lore team wouldn't just stand by and be like, they're, they're, whatever, we'll look the other hey, way. Look, this time. It's they would, they'd get it. They'd figure it out. Um, I figured they would end up falling back on whatever the mechanism is that allows Gilgamesh to show up in every game. Because, I mean, before you could claim, well, maybe they're just different Gilgamesh. Maybe this is this this version's version of Gilgamesh. Um, but he'll show up in one game and mention the name of a character from another game. Right. So, oh, no, it's obviously the same Gilgamesh. And I figure that whatever allows Gilgamesh to do this is whatever allows other entities to do it. Mm. Um, and Shantoto talked about other dimensions. So... Right. I mean, I don't and, know. and that that whole concept, right, isn't something that's new, right? For, for Final Fantasy, uh, you know, they talk about um, in which which uh, it was a dragon Shinryu, right? Is a dimension hopping dragon, um, which we we actually saw that in um, in the Abyssia storyline in eleven. But um, yeah, the idea of being able to go between dimensions um, isn't new, um, and if they were just gonna be like, yeah just dimensions and stuff it'd be like all right like that works you know like you don't really need any more specifics than that because it's something that has been referenced throughout the series and the core foundation of the series like the where it asks you to suspend your disbelief the most is around the very vague concept of magic and crystals and void and i'm thinking like all right one of these things is obviously to blame for everything either there's you know the one master crystal at the center of all creation and that is infinite possibility and all of these isolated worlds are connected sort of by their origin in that one crystal or maybe there is the void and the void is what separates all final fantasies or you know it's 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 pretty open they can find a lot of doors to put between that wall. Yep. 
Um, and he goes on to talk about um, with the Hildebrand quest, um, it can be challenging because it's so different from the rest of the quests that they, they do. Um, you know, there's a very dramatic and engaging, uh, serious main scenario. Um, but then you have this kind of like comic relief on the side. Um, and so to take that and make it into something that's going to be universally loved, um, you know, he says that the team has done a really good job of making it something that's not too Japanese, uh, you know, and it's it's really good comic relief with with a lot of visual humor. The, the expressions definitely are. <laughs> I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think anytime you have a, a world this big and this serious and, and it has points that are that dark, a character who is part of the world but doesn't really seem to live on the same plane of reality is really, really useful in terms of comic relief. And Hildebrand is so, so he's good so, at that. He's so out there. <laughs> uh, and who could hate those facial expressions, right? No one. No. <laughs> it brings it brings me back to a little bit of um, Rin from Final Fantasy X because that's always the feeling I got from him was that everyone else is so afraid of the world ending and he's just like oh i'm just living life day to day i got all this money i'm gonna i'm gonna go play blitzball for a bit and then i'm gonna open a hotel right and then, yeah let's fly around with you for a bit he just seemed so detached from everything that was going on and i think that made him very likable and i see a little bit of that in hildebrand absolutely all right, that's, I'm going to let you, this is your question. I'm going to give you this last do one. I, do I get to talk about the key? I will let you talk about the key. Oh, this is so exciting. Um, <laughs> I did not expect to get this question answered at all. Uh, each each of the questions we chose, or chose, uh, each of the questions <laughs> we chose um, was based on making sure that we didn't ask too many things that were going to be hit with, uh, please look forward to it. Uh, that, for instance, that's the, you know, what are you excited about question? Just tell us something you're allowed to talk about. Anything fun. Um, but a few questions you just you can't not ask about. Like the yeah, temporary I mean, there's, there's some we, stuff that we did ask about. And he's like, can't answer can't, it. And we're like, all right. Yep. No, moving on. <laughs> no. So you got to gotta have a few questions from every type. And I think the tempering question was a good one to have because it went unresolved in the forums for so long, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this question, I did not expect to get answered at all. I'm glad we got answered because now you can finally shut up about it. Over. Yes, I am. I am <laughs> done bringing it up. Now we're going to move on to why was it there? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> no, I'm going to I'm going to wrap up focusing on these parts of the 1.0 storyline and just write what we know. This was this was too big of an unknown to continue it. So mm -hmm. let's talk about it in the 1.0 storyline. Two of the city's main introductions focused on a horn and this horn had some very strange powers and everybody wanted it and then as soon as all of the quest lines combined we got into talking about primals and Asians, and the horns never came up again even though the Asians were the ones after them so uh for a little bit of history the lominson one is the most important um yeah, yeah. a very mysterious island showed up in the middle of the i think it was in the merrill strait i think um, it appeared out of nowhere and no one had any idea what it was, but it was rumored that it was this island from legend called Swallowtail Rome, where Limleyan bound the serpents that filled the uh, primordial drive with ocean. And that if they were ever freed, the world would drown, which is the origin of Till Sea Swallows All. A little fun uh, fact. <laughs> so they thought that they thought that Swallowtail Rome was back, which meant that there was a treasure on it. 
um, that had some kind of immense power. And there was a, um, a Commodore of the Knights of the Barracuda named Stallman who decided that this was his opportunity to take power and protect Limsa Liminsa. And he conspired with uh, a member of the Sanguine Sirens and a member of the Kraken's Arms to steal this treasure. And it turned out that it was a horn. And as soon as he had it, his plan started to unravel a little bit. Yashtola came uh, investigating the possible war with the Empire. And she knew about the Asians and that they were after the horn. But it turns out that one of the people the pirates was colluding with was actually not with the Sahagin, but an Asian. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Travanchet takes the key, says that this kind of power does not belong in our hands, and sends it through this little void gate and disappears, never heard from again, never mentioned again. And he's actually the only confirmed Asian from 1.0 as well. Aside from the Thanalan Reaper, yes. Yeah. He's the, the only confirmed Asian character. Way. And... He again shadowless at the time. Yeah, that's and that's that I think is what makes this even more of a big deal, right? Is the fact that you know the one Asian for sure that we know of in, in 1.0, aside from the weird Grim Reaper guy, like you know, they were after it, which definitely makes it a big deal. So, what was it? Uh, as soon as it starts to activate we see the echo sound for the first time. And it's the only one of the three main scenarios that seems that the appearance of the star shower and the sounding of the echo happens at the exact same time as something important is happening in the story. Uh, it, it's the only one that seems to relate directly to it. Like, there's no reason that the echo would sound just because we've freed someone from the grasp of an elemental. There's no reason the echo would sound just because uh, Neil Friends just got stabbed. Mm -hmm. uh, but in Limsa Liminsa, the key activates and the echo sounds. And I'm thinking, this has to be connected. How can we never let this go? And sorry to build up all of this anticipation for <laughs> a anticlimactic answer, but it is not a world shattering kind of uh, item here. The ad students want them because what they are good for is manipulating the ether of an area. Uh, when, you, when you activate the key or blow into the horn, it changes the way the ether flows in that area and makes it much easier to summon things. Uh, which explains a lot, I think, because the tablet that they found with the key talked about fell magics and the oceans rising, and I'm thinking Leviathan. This is the summoning horn that the Asian wanted to take back to the Sahagin for the summoning, or the easier summoning, I should say, of Leviathan. And we know that Leviathan came up a few times. Right. Um, so if he was put down so easily the first time with the Company of Heroes, I don't want to say easily, but he was defeated by the Company of Heroes, you would want that horn. Mm -hmm. you, would, you would want that power behind you. The one in Uldah was only used to anger a very large group of coblins so that the Imperial spy could make it. And, and the, uh, the Gubu. And the Gubu, yes. And the, the Gubu. Gubu. Yeah. It interrupted the spell on the Gubu to make it rampage. Um, so I don't know whose horn that was. I mean, I, it was in Thanalan, so we can assume Ifrit. Maybe. But uh, I know I've, I have no idea what that horn was for. But we, we now know that there are items that are enchanted that will make summoning easier. And we also know that 
these horns are not the only time we've seen yes. an enchanted item like this. I, 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 in, gave, in, in. I probably gave quite an expression when he was talking about this. Um, he says, uh, you know, whether or not they'll play a part in the game from now on these horns, um, you know, uh, he can tell us that if you look closely in the game, there is a certain staff that a certain important someone used in a certain important something, and that staff was broken. But now it's somewhere and you can take a look at it. Um, and that also might be of the same type of make as these uh, these horns. And obviously, if you think about it, staffs and important people and now it was broken, but it's somewhere that you can still see it. We have an idea, right, of, of what that object might be. Maybe Louis Swa's staff, perhaps. Sitting no, maybe he's about it. Maybe. Um, and, you know, and I said, oh, I, I got a feeling I know what you're talking about. Uh, and then he says, but then it's like, well, what was the purpose of that key? And what was it supposed to manipulate to summon what? And yeah. What a tease. Hmm. I mean, I think it's <laughs> I think it's clear what it was meant to summon just because it had Thaliac symbol carved into it. <laughs> True. Um, and that uh, the Archon Louisois very much matched what you would expect a Thaliac figure to be. And he hung out at Epkalu Falls, which is one of the only water themed things around uh, that area of Quitania. Thaliac is a water deity. Oh, man. How does that all tie together? It reminds me of the, the theories where we thought all of those guys were each one of the 12. <laughs> yeah, that? well, it's it's a little bit of what we were told by. Um, yeah. That crazy cat, Gili Aliapo, uh, when we had the uh, original Hatching Tide, was that the Archons would be the earthly personifications of them. So we were all, of course, digging so deep into yep. the into the circle of knowing, going, which one are you? Which one are you? Exactly. Yeah. I, oh, God, I remember doing that. <laughs> I'm like, what do we do with Naldthal? Is he two people? What do we, <laughs> what do, we do here? I don't know. It's, it's his grandkids. We know. Confirmed. <laughs> They're the, twins. The, the twins from the Miners Guild. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, it's, that's going to yeah. throw a wrench in, in a lot of it. Because, I mean, I have I have no idea. Because that means that some of these enchanted items had the idea of summoning specific things all along. And part of the theory that I was working on to begin with was that if you had enough belief in something, you could just summon it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if these objects are tied to concrete subjects the entire time hmm well and and of course to um emphasis on on these these items you don't need one to no. summon but it does make things easier which um you know if if you're a beast tribe right and you want to summon your primal to you know beat up adventurers and stuff and they keep killing your primal obviously you're going to want to find an easier more efficient way to summon them since you'll have to do it over and over and over again in the more recent patches it looks like the horns have just been replaced with those those uh hex bags the ritual focus which is mm. those are dark that's that's a lot better than i wonder one. i wonder if there's a if there's a connection between the horns and the because those those don't make it easier necessarily they just make the summoning more powerful right 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 
Hmm. Well, I guess you could go in a direction and say that it thus makes it easier to summon a more powerful entity of it. I don't I have no idea. It really seems like the Asians are just going, you know, whatever upsets the status quo is good for now. Yeah. If you just if you just want to like kill this dude and like put his bones in a bag, that'll that'll make your your next Efreet like really pissed off. <laughs> he'll he'll drop better gear if you do it this way. He'll drop bracelets instead of instead of weapons. I'm imagining just the Asian playing the role of uh, role of the Exorcist. Just I've got a great way to summon a much more powerful demon. I'm gonna need an old priest and a young priest. Yeah. We're going to well, burn the old one. Right. And that's how the, the, the Asians, they would, you know, they got a hold of these keys and they would kind of go over to the beast tribes and give them kind of a nudge. And be like, hey, I got something for you here. Uh, I'm not I mean, I'm not going to tell you what 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 to do with it. Um, but if you want, you know, you can use it to, uh, I don't know, summon a primal. <laughs> and I'm sitting here sitting on top of the. Um, transcripts i got from a japanese blog about the unreleased quests with like titan stuff like that and i'm imagining yeah you know your paragon wouldn't be like i command you to summon this they would just be like here's a horn here's what it might be useful i'm just gonna go ahead and put these car keys here uh (laughs) there's a uh, white castle open down the road if if you get hungry you know just just saying if you're well, ever in guess. a jam, if you're ever having some <laughs> problems, you know, maybe summoning your primal could help you solve some of those problems. And then the Reaper Asian shows up and everyone's like, oh, damn, summon it. <laughs> it's like that, that, like that guy that's like, you know, like, I w- you know, I wouldn't mind getting this item for my birthday. You don't you don't have to get this this for me. You know, I you know, I'm not going to going to force you to get this particular gift for me. But, you know, if you want to hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, like <laughs> so good old Asian manipulation. I just love that they have so much planned and yet there's this illusion of organic growth and confusion everywhere and that. Because they've done that, anytime they do retcon something or do overlook something or there is some seeming contradiction, it's it's a lot easier to get rid of, I think. Yeah. But so. yeah, so the mystery of the horn has been put to rest. We know what it was and why they wanted it. Yep. Of course, of course now, now the question I have is, is what were to happen if somebody found the importance of that certain staff used by that important someone and tried to repair it oh no right it's, can they just like duct tape that and like would it just would it be good good to go <laughs> i don't know i don't know oh it's there's one thing that always confused me about that staff actually i have to like type and run what to look this up while we're talking about it um we see a very similar staff in another piece of concept art and I was always wondering why the hell it was there. Uh, if they just needed something that looked good there at the time, or if it was a hint. So I'm currently on the official website pulling up the profile of the Exal. Because the image there, the Exal in the forefront, has the exact same staff Louis Wa has. Interesting. But... It is not the same model. It is not, it's not, they just, they didn't pull out that model and go, okay, um, Louis Wa staff looks really good. Let's give it to this Ixal. This 
is exactly the same in every way except that the symbol for Thaliac on Louisois' staff is replaced with the symbol for Oshan. Interesting. And I don't know if anybody has ever even noticed this before. Interesting. But on one side, we have an Exal wielding a staff that is identical to a staff we know to be enchanted to make summoning easier, and this staff is aimed at Garuda. Hmm. And, I'm, and I'm sitting here trying my damnedest with every fiber of my being to not think that the primals are somehow related to corrupted images of worshipped gods of fallen cities. Because we know Ocean was from Nim and Nim has fallen. And right. we still have Lim Leon and Limsa Laminsa. But if you go to Thanalan, you will notice that we still have Naldthal. But out in the desert, we have the fallen city who worshipped Azima and we have Ifrit. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here going, how can it be the same in every city state? Let's go to Gridania. And um, we have currently living Gridania and worshipping uh, Nafika. And then the fallen city state of um, uh, slipping on the name here, Amdapur. So does that mean that they worshipped Althik? But then both of those are Earth. So why is Titan out in Limsa Laminsa? Now the theory starts to unravel a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I'm very, very curious where that's going because Coerthos is Halon and ice, and now Coerthos is covered in snow. Right. So this is this is going somewhere. I want to know what's up with that freaking <laughs> Exal staff now. That's so very one interesting. So we're never talking about the key or Louisois staff again, but we are going to talk about is why <laughs> the, the serpent staff. was guarding it and why Ixal has an ocean staff. Hmm. Just one thing to the next. But yes, I've been very curious about that ocean staff for a long time, and I've never had a reason to bring it up. Um, like, why would Garuda allow them to carry a staff with the symbol for the 12 on it? Maybe they did steal it from, like, an armory somewhere, but then why would she allow that blasphemy near her? Maybe, maybe you know, this is like the, there's like a set, right? It's like the, the Captain Planet rings. Yeah. Where are the other ten staffs? Right. Hmm. Maybe, maybe that's why, you know, in that, that end of an era trailer, when, you know, the, the power of the Twelve came up and kind of got broken through maybe it's because the other planeteers weren't there <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> i can't it's, it's a sound theory and you know it <laughs> i'm just sitting here like trying to stop myself from speculating at this time <laughs> this is this is not lore crafting this is an interview. Yeah, we've we've already passed that uh, that line, I think. Yeah, I think I think the <laughs> I think the torch has been pulled over a little. Uh, we're we're now illuminating things we should not be for an interview. Right. So but it's there you go. Still a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, we can use uh, the information from this to, uh, you know, come up with new ideas for more train articles or crafting articles and as you know, as as Fern Hall says, speculate, speculate, speculate. <laughs> speaking speaking of the interview, I mean, I think it's clear by now that we tried to get 
a good range of questions, things that are yeah. in the background. Uh, what is it like, you know, working on this? Tell us something that only you as Vern Hulls and your team would have access to. What did this feel like? But at the same time, we have unanswered lore questions and we also have world questions. Just enough to keep things interesting without ending up with, please look forward to it. Right, um, right. Because we did, we we went back through the lore forum and looked at the most un, interesting unanswered questions we had. Um, yeah. And and we did actually ask for for questions too. And I know, um, not all. You know, it's it's not like each of these questions that we did ask were, were from the forums. We did have an idea of what we wanted to ask before, but um, you know, when we do these, there's always you know that chance that there could be a really good question that you know just for whatever reason didn't pop into our heads, um, and so. Um, you know, like, for for example, somebody had asked about, um, you know, like bringing back the star onions. And so I thought, oh, you know, like I'll ask that music question because I don't think a lot of people realize that he has had, you know, some involvement. Um, I had no idea. Music. I knew that he was involved with lyrics. I had no idea that him and Soken had uh, worked together, even on vocal collaborations. That's awesome. I love both of their work a lot. So I've also got to get everybody used. Knows. I've, I've <laughs> got to get used to pronouncing his name with that deep O, Soken. I've been calling him Soken because he loves knee-high socks. Yeah, <laughs> I was Sokken. thinking, I was yeah. I thought I thought that was the joke huh, that it was knee Soken, but no, it's it's so. I've got to get used to that. <laughs> oh man. But, yeah, uh, we tried. We tried to ask a few of the other questions that came up, and they were indeed. Please look forward to it. So know that some of the stuff we're talking about in the lore forums right now is planned to be answered. They're already on it. Don't worry about it. It'll come up again. Yeah, yeah. Certain it's, things such as you know wars worried, with various magic users and yes. various things that certain jobs can summon, and it's it's all coming. So don't don't worry about it. Please look forward to it. Yeah, and that's always the gamble too, right? It's like, hey, can you, can you tell us like everything about Ra Ramu? And he'll be like, it's, it's in the next patch. Like, why would I? Why would I tell you, right? That's you know. What, and so that's that's the why I look forward to asking these questions. Yeah, that's one so. of the big reasons I look forward to talking to people like Fern Halls because when when you talk to uh, people like the producers and developers and even Yoshida, um, it is isolated to the next patch. And it's mm -hmm. isolated to the stuff that's coming. And he knows what he can and can't tell you at the time. Yeah. Um, when you talk to people like Fernhalls, who you can tell just have so much investment putting TLC into the game and really, really care about the world. Yeah, I, I really wish I had a better way to like put his energy into like a written interview because talking to him, he is so excited about this stuff. And I love that. He is so into it. Um, and it's just like, I'm just going to type it up and people are just going to read it like very, you know, mediocrely and just, blah, you know, but it's like he was so like pumped up, like telling me some of these things. So that's my that's my philosophy that like if I'm going to dedicate so much of my free time to living in this fake world, I should really learn about and enjoy this fake world. <laughs> And when I do that, you can tell pretty quickly how much TLC the people on the back end have put into that aspect. Like, is yeah. this just another aspect of the game to them? Is this the same as coding? They just needed some story to put together and that's it? Or did they really, can you can you tell they cared a lot about it? I mean, it? The, man, like, the man has made a self-language. I mean, yes, <laughs> you don't need yes. any more than that. That's why I love talking to people like Fern Halls because they, they just care 
a lot about this. And if there is something that was overlooked or something that is not clear, they want you to know about it. They want to explain it. They want you to know what was intended. And that they might, they might want to, you know, see you try and figure it out first. But it's, you know, eventually they'll uh, be like, all right. So that'll do it. That'll wrap it up uh, for this Lorecast episode. Uh, the written interview is going to be up uh, same time as this podcast. So if you have not read it, make sure to read it. Uh, read it in a very exciting and enthused voice to get the full effect. Um, and we'll be back here at, uh, I don't know, at some point when we figure out another uh, lore article to write up. So uh, thanks for everybody for uh, tuning in and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye.